Hey there, Muggs. I'm uh, Moz here with a very special guest. I've got Ethan Ensby on the line. Absolute young gun trainer from northern New South Wales there. He's uh, taken the time out to have a bit of a chat on what goes into being a young gun trainer and what really keeps him going, uh, apart from the, the 2 a.m. wake-up calls every day, mate. I'm sure you're getting used to them by now. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Mate, well, as I said, thanks for having a chat. It's, it's, I'm excited to have a chat to you because it's, uh, I'm sure you know firsthand, horse racing is one of those industries that the, uh, the fossils are still in charge at the top end. Um, so young pups like yourself and myself who are, are trying to make a bit of a dent in the great, great game have some battles here and there. But, mate, give us a bit of a, uh, a couple of sentences on Ethan Ensby. Who are you, mate? What do you, what do you love doing about horse training? Oh, look, you know, obviously, uh, trainer down here in Ballina, um, country New South Wales, northern end, so not too far away from Brisbane. Um, basically, I've had horses all my life, so really, I probably couldn't see myself doing anything else. To be completely honest with you, I hated racing when I was a kid. Mum was a steward, and I'd go to the races and cheer the ambulance home, not the horses. Um, I don't know what happened, but something just... I guess flicked when I was a teenager um, and decided that jockeys made a, too much money and I wanted a part of that. Um, went down that road for a little while, realised I was too fat. So that career was very, very short-lived. But uh, when I sort of I turned 18, I thought, well, you know, I can't ride because I'm too heavy. Um, the next best thing is training. So... Sort of got sick of uh, watching everybody else training winners, and I thought I could do a better job. Uh, quickly found out it wasn't easy. It wasn't as easy as what I thought it was. But uh, you know, I thought you know I'm young. I may as well do it now. You know, if I end up being no good at it, um, you know, I, I gave myself a five year plan basically, and and said that uh, by the time I'm 25, if I find out I'm absolutely useless. Um, I'm no good at it. I'm still young enough to be employed. I can go and get a job, you know, being a plumber, playing with other people's shit or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm still employable. If I, if I wait, I go and do a trade, come out of the trade, I'm 25, I do five years, I'm 30. You know, you're getting into that bracket where people don't really want to employ you if you find out you're no good at it. And then you've blown all your, your life savings on, on something and uh, you basically got you know, nothing to fall, to fall back on. So um, I said, I, I basically said, I'm going to do it now. It's now or never and uh, got straight into it. And six, nearly seven years later, we're, I'm still going. I still don't know whether I'm any good at it or not. But, uh, you know, we've got a couple of Metropolitan winners. So I suppose we've, we've done something right on four occasions anyway. <laughs> that's it, mate. mate I think that, that's, uh, that's horse racing 101. You just have one winner and you, you're pretty much hooked for life, no matter if you're a punter, trainer, jockey or, or anywhere in between. Um, look, you said you, you started with the steward side of things. How, how sort of that come about? Because they're probably public enemy number one uh, on the racing side of things. The stewards are the ones that, well, they upheld protests that you don't want to hear. Yeah, look, I wasn't a steward, um, but I spent basically my whole childhood in the steward's room um, with mum being a swab steward or a pissologist, we used to call her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the scientific term for it. Um, but I basically grew up in there. And I think although 
I sort of didn't follow down the path that, you know, Michael Costa did. Like, he, he was a steward for a while and he got that, uh, I guess, that background knowledge on reading races and that through through that way. I grew up in the room. So although I didn't really take any interest in, in it for a long time, I've sat through more stewards' inquiries than some of the stewards around here have, you know, they've, they've uh, run, you know. So... I, I remember um, plenty of times where I had to go to the races with mum because dad couldn't look after me. They couldn't find someone to, you know, babysit dad, obviously had to work or, or whatever. Uh, there was one point where dad decided to chop his fingers off. So with a lawnmower, so he was in hospital, mum had to work. <laughs> My grandmother was over in Hong Kong, I think at the time. And there was nobody else really that mum would leave me with because I, I was a bit of a prick of a kid. So, um, I had to go to the, had, had to go to the races and, and mum rang her boss up and said, listen, you know, Ethan's got to come with me. Otherwise, you don't have a swab steward. as simple as that. And yeah. Bill Fanning was the head steward at the time. And uh, I remember Bill handed me a set of binoculars and said, guard these with your life because they're worth more than you'll ever be. So, and, uh, you know, I, that sort of become a, a bit of a normal thing, more so than me having to, you know, be, be stuck with a babysitter or something like that. Mum just ended up taking me to the races and Bill was happy enough to, you know, let me tag along and like I said back in those sort of days I really didn't have that much interest but it was something yeah. different it's intriguing and and I guess although I sort of didn't really get into the racing side of things until I was a little bit older it's probably harder to get into it when you're a kid um sort of don't really understand what's going on but um you know I remember a lot so you know I've sat through protests where I was told to sit in the corner and shut my mouth and don't make a noise and and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember a lot of those sort of things and I went, it, it sort of helps you now with, um, you know, obviously going into protest yourself or um, stuff like that. You, it's sort of, even though, you know, it, it's, I didn't do it on purpose. I sort of learnt it by, by accident. And yeah. Yeah. You know, it makes life a little bit easy when you've got to do that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I wasn't a steward myself. They asked me to be one, but, I said, no, I'm not interested in paperwork and shit like that. So um, I, uh, I delved into this path. But still to this day, like, I, you know, I treat the stewards with respect like, like I have to. But at the end of the day, I've grown up with them. So they sort of, I'll have a joke with them and people sort of look at me funny. But, you yeah. know, they're not, they're not scary. They don't, they don't uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, even the Queen of England, we're, we're all human at, at the end of the day. We all still get put six foot under. So nobody's in my opinion, is bigger than than the next person. So, you know, I'll put shit on them. They put shit on me just as much as I put on pitch, put shit on, you know, me mates or fellow trainers or whatever, you know, like I just treat them like they're human. And I think that, you know, you've got to do that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think you've, you're probably a leg up there because I'm sure a lot of trainers learn how to communicate with the stewards the minute that they get on the wrong end of the decision, get a bit hot-headed in there, but uh, at least you've got the, the cool head loop attitude with a lot of it as well um yeah well, I'm, I'm sure when uh when you were younger sitting in the corner can you remember a uh any sort of big sprays or a few jockeys getting a little bit uh hot under the collar with some decisions that were going in and out oh look there was plenty of them i wouldn't be able to name any of them because i didn't really have that much of an interest in it you know I'd, basically they'd hand me a phone and i'd play snake on it that's how long ago it was yeah um i'd play snake on an old nokia in the corner and that sort of kept me quiet and they they did they did what they did but uh 
I definitely, I definitely remember mum coming home one day and, uh, and telling us about the day. Bill Fanning was very particular. He was like, he's a, he's a very good steward. Um, but he was very particular about what happened in his room and stuff like that. And some of the boys used to come into the, the stewards room, watch the race, like the, the other stewards that were in the room, like the clerk, the scales and um, this and that, and something else. And this particular day, he, he, if you went into the room and watched the races, you had to turn the volume down as soon as you left the room. They'd, he hated it if he come back to the room and the volume was still up. Right. Anyway, this day, Gary, Gary Cleesey obviously does the, the um, Sky Channel stuff around here. He's gone into the room and watched the races and didn't turn the volume back down. Bill's come down he's, and he's gone off his head and uh, Cleesey thought he was joking and he's popped his head back in the, in the door and said, yeah, that was me. And Bill picked up the chair and threw it at him. So, oh, you know, he was very, very particular in, in what he did, but uh, a very good steward in, in his own right. But, you know, like, I, I don't remember a, a lot, but there was, you know, there was a lot of sprays. There was a lot of heated arguments and yeah. stuff like that in the steward's room. You know, like, there's a lot of money involved, even back then when they're, you know, they were racing for $3,000. So, you know, people were always doing it tough. So they want, you know, if, if you're going to have a pole to protest on them, they get the shits. But, uh, you know, there was plenty of it, yeah. Uh, awesome, mate. And, um, well, from there, obviously, aspired to be a jockey. Is that sort of where you're you met some trainers uh, or even worked for some trainers and you sort of got that itch to go, you know, the other side of what I'm doing here um, is just that light bulb moment for you. Was there, was there any trainer in particular that probably, you know, took you behind closed doors and said, mate, you could probably have a decent go at this with your, your knowledge and your, your work ethic or was it just sort of a, you know what, this is the next thing that I want to have a crack at? Look, I, nobody really, I suppose, took me under their wing and said, go and get a trainer's license. I think, Nearly every trainer I spoke to said, don't do it. Um, yeah. And the, and the students said the same thing. But uh, um, with that being said, I had some very good mentors and, and um, I get, I, I, I road work for a lot of trainers. So I guess you learn a lot of different methods of doing things. Um, some of them, you might look at it and go, nah, that doesn't sit comfortably with me. That's not right. Or other ones, you go, hey, shit, yeah, you know that 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 makes sense. You know that's that's why that particular trainer trained so many winners, or blah blah blah. And I think you learn just as much off those that don't have much of an idea, or in your opinion, don't have much of an idea, um, because you sort of learn what not to do. Um, and I think you learn more off them than what you do the blokes that are doing everything right, because you know they sort of got a plan and nothing much changes, and you know everything sort of goes along long well so you sort of learn yeah I guess I've learned a lot off a lot of different people I've been lucky enough to ride track work for countless people I used to leave casino early in the morning and go and ride in Lismore before I you know I'd probably do god I don't know how many I'd do over there go back to casino ride work for you know a number of number of different trainers there and then I'd go and ride breakers at Pat Randall's uh, during the day go back to the stables during the afternoon and, and work for Pete and Di Stanley so um yeah, I guess I was lucky in that respect. I got to ride for a multitude of different people. And a lot of people say you should go to a big stable and learn off a big stable. And I I worked for a, a medium-sized stable, I guess you could say, in the Northern Rivers. And you're just a number. So unless you're a foreman or head track work rider or this or that or something else, you're not going to learn anything because, you know, you're just basically walking horses backwards and forwards as a track and picking up shit, you know, and you're not going to learn anything from that. And I think 
learning, uh, working for a number of different trainers, smaller trainers, and getting your sort of your eye in there. If you're smart enough, you'll pick up enough of them. And and I think that was where I was lucky. I I worked for a lot of different people. Yeah, I'm, I I can 100% see it. You even see it now just with some, you know, the bigger stables and where they place their horses. Um, you know, it doesn't really take a lot of extra effort to look at, hey, this horse could have gone here for a better chance and this, this and that. So um, I think you're spot on there. Well, what what's involved in that step for you then to, to go, all right, I want to get my trainer's license. Like, what's actually involved? Is it is it sort of like a tape course? Is it work experience <coughs> for hours and and you have to do some testing or what's what's that involved for anyone? I don't know. They could be just sort of thinking about let's have a bit of a go as a hobbyist or something like that. It's all changed since I did. I know I only got my licence, uh, like I said, six or seven years ago. But You're an old man. Uh, why, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Sort of, <laughs> once you've had a trainer's licence for 12 months, you think you've done it for 10 years. <laughs> um, but they're, they're forever changing everything and... Uh, when I had to get my license, or when I went for my license, I should say, I had to, um, you had to have 5000 in the bank and you had to show that there was 5000 in the bank. Um, in my opinion, that is nowhere near enough money. I, I blew that 5000 in the first week. Um, just buying feed and gear and stuff like that for the horses and that you, that five grand doesn't go a long way. But um you had to have five grand in the bank. You had to have done six months with a with a trainer. Um, you had to uh, pass a test, which was a very basic test um, with the stewards. You had to do an, an an interview with the stewards and pass this particular test. Then, when I got my license, they just bought in the TAFE course that had to be done with it. So you got an what they called an interim or provisional license. Um, until you completed this TAFE course and, and uh, you were given a time frame, I can't remember how long it was to complete the the, um, the course. And if you didn't do it, they took their, your license back off you. But you basically train, you know, learn while you were already training. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure it's all changed now and you have to have a lot more money in the bank and you have to complete the TAFE course before you'll get your license. Um, don't quote me on it. I haven't had to worry about it, thank Christ. So. <laughs> Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but a couple of mates who've just got a license recently, they've said, yeah, you, you know, there's a bit more, a few more, I think you've got to have a business plan and everything now. It's sort of, well, I didn't need that when I started, thank Christ, cause I wouldn't have even known how to do one, but, uh, yeah, there's, I think there's a fair bit more involved in getting a license these days than what it was back in the day. And I think they've, I think rightly so, like a, there's a few people who sort of, you know, they've had the money but haven't had the experience and they've got a license and they've sort of, you know, I think they've got to be a bit more regulated on who gets licenses these days. I think, um, you know, the old cornflakes box doesn't cut it anymore. And yeah, you, you people and yeah, that you, you definitely know they've got it out of there. So they, uh, they obviously read all your, uh, your emails after mate about the whinging and complaining and you should have told me I needed this much cash and this, this and that. So <laughs> it's good to see. Um, well, what's, I guess, even from there, you know, you, I think experience is probably the big one just to sort of grasp, you know, a day in the life of a trainer. And I'm sure it's one of those jobs, obviously, that you're learning something new every day or, or as you said, this, this way I thought was right is probably not right or there's a different way to 20 ways to skin a cat sort of uh, thing. So just outline a basic day, I guess, for you um, as a trainer and in, if you've adopted sort of some different 
um, ideas or whatnot that you know without giving away your secrets. But this is what I do a certain way and it makes me individual from, you know, every other trainer that's up there at the Northern Rivers. I guess training racehorses is it's pretty easy. It's pretty, you know, if you've got common sense and you have an idea about horses, um, you know, like it's it's not that hard. A good horse will train itself. It doesn't, you know, good horses make bad trainers look good. I, I, might, um, I, I might take that audio grab for the, uh, for the promotion just so that everybody thinks it's an easy job and just goes bang. <laughs> we don't need it too more idiots, but yeah. um, it's, you know, if, if you've got common sense, like my old boss, Pete Stanley, he, he was apprenticed to Theo Green. So he rode a bit for Pat Bart Cummings and, uh, um, TJ Smith, obviously, um, and a few other people down there at Randwick. And, and he always said that Bart used to split it up into three things. It was, you know, common sense, feeding and, and working them. And if, and if you could get the ratio right with all three, you know, the rest sort of, Thanks. Yeah, I, I guess, made itself, you know. Um, so, you know, big thing with us is feeding and working. I think one thing I sort of did pick up a lot in the swab room with mum um, in the swab box was used to notice a lot of horses, you know, five and six years ago when it was, I guess, a lot easier to win a race. They'd come into the box blowing, like they'd be absolutely rooted after a run. And mum was, was a very good horsewoman in a day and my grandfather was a very, very good horseman in his day. And, and mum used to always say, I, I just don't understand why these trainers keep sending their horses around half fit. But back then you used to be able to do it, you know, like it was a, the, basically the survival of the fittest. And, you know, if your horse was mad, fresh, just hit the ground running and everyone could train a thousand metre runner and, and, and get a winner. But now it's a lot harder to get a winner because you've got uh, a lot more younger blokes coming through. There's a lot more science involved. And that's why a lot of the older trainers are sort of getting left behind. And they, they don't, like you said, they're fossils. They don't want to change. They don't want to um, adapt to new. Yep. Nah. And it's, it's changing every day. Like, you know, someone will find something new every day, whether it be, you know, finding some sort of different thing with heart rate monitors or, you know, blood counts, blood lactates, you know, like it's, it's completely different now. And if you're not keeping up with that sort of stuff, you'll get left behind. It's, you know, before you could sort of get away with being 5% out with, um, with everything where now, you know, if you're a half a percent out, you'll get beat. So yeah, basically a lot of it, a lot of what we do is is you know we're big on feeding and, and working. My horses probably work a little bit harder than a lot of other trainers here in Ballinas do, um, and it's been commented on a lot. Um, but you know, you see one of my stayers go to the races and you just back it because you know that uh, it's going to be rock hard fit. Um, so, you know, I guess that's one thing that we stand out with at the moment. I don't even have a decent stayer in my stable and I love them and I'm sort of renowned for them around here, but I've got to find another decent one. But, uh, you know, we, uh, that's one thing with us is, is feeding and, and, uh, and working them. And you've got to, if you feed them, uh, if you work them hard, sorry, you've got to feed them big. So we're big on that. And I learned that off, um, off Pete and I, um, Pete was big on feeding um, and, you know, that's what he said, you know, if you're going to work your horses hard, you've got to feed them good, you know. So, um, but basically a day for us is, you know, the alarms will go off at 3.30. I need about 15 of them to wake me up. I'm not a morning yep. person. I, 
warnings, but you know, I've done it for that long now. You, you, people say you should be used to it, but I'm not. Um, the missus kicks me in the guts every morning and gets me yeah. up on the first alarm, but I can't. I, I've got to have a heap of them and hit snooze about a million times. But um, yeah, we the, the alarms would basically go off, basically go off at three thirty. We'll get up, have a cuppa, and a bit of raisin toast or a couple of biscuits or something like that. Um, and get out and start about quarter past four. We've only got one stable hand. She she starts about four o'clock, runs around, gives them all a bit of hay to nibble on, get into their guts. Sort of, if you can put a bit of um, feed in them, and uh, before they work, it sort of doesn't stop stomach ulcers, but it it uh, lowers the the effects of them and lowers the chance of getting them. Yeah. Um, so we go give them a you know a handful of hay from the nibble on before they work and. We'll get over there, start saddling them up, throw them on the walker for a while. Then the first one will come off. We, you know, we try and be on the track before five o'clock if we can. It opens at four thirty here. Um, you know, if we if we pull our finger out, we're on the track at four thirty. But uh, nine times out of ten, we're not. But uh, we like to be out there as early as we can, get the best best uh, you know surface we possibly can on the track, and uh, get stuck into them. And that's basically the the merry go round, I guess that. Uh, we go on every every morning. It's basically all the same. The horses go out and work. Jade rides the majority of our work. Norrie Masuda comes and jumps on the couple. And if I find a quiet one that I want to ride, I'll jump on it. Um, or if you know there's something that Jade's not, you know wants, she says, "Oh, I just don't know about this horse. I'll jump on it and give it a whirl and see what I think." But uh, um, then they come back. They go for a swim. We got another trainer here he's only got one in work um he swims all the horses for me because i can't row a boat i go around 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 circles so he uh he's done it for years and years and years so he takes them down swims them for us and I come back have a hose and go up and uh then i all get fed sort of somewhere in the middle of the morning and uh finish up about 10 o'clock and come in the office do noms acceptances wait for the vultures the jockeys managers and jockeys to ring up for uh, for the rides and uh <laughs> If that's one, you know, if, if we've got noms or acceptances that day, if not, we're doing, you know, worksheets or putting stuff into prism. Um, and then, you know, hopefully we get a couple of hours off during the, the middle of the day and then start again in the afternoon. So we don't have any staff in the afternoon. It's just Jade and I. Um, unless we obviously go to the races and the oldies come down and they do them for us. Or sometimes we might get Alana who works for us to come in and do it, for, you know, if mum and dad can't come down or whatever. So... Yeah, that's basically uh, every day, 365 days a year. She don't stop. You beauty, mate. What a life, hey? And, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm sure that wasn't on the exam when you passed it, was it? <laughs> no. No, oh. they, uh, they don't tell you you don't get a piece, that's for sure. <laughs> well, even on that, I guess, you, I guess you know, reps equal success, right? So, yes, it does feel repetitive. But what are you... what are you sort of looking for in a horse that's, you know, doing the same work, obviously, every day? leading up to sort of that first up run is there are you doing times does it have to sort of meet a certain criteria that you've sort of put together to know how they're progressing or is it a bit of a little bit of guesswork might surprise you at the races or you know what i think this one's flying and probably doesn't live up to that come race day is there a system that you have in place or is it different for every day every horse oh look it's 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 different but at the same time you know you what you you want to see him hitting different, you know, different uh, markers, different criteria, I suppose. Um, there's obviously a few that, 
they surprise you. Um, they'll jump yeah. out of the ground or they'll go to the races and run an absolute shithouse race and you think that they should have done a lot better. Um, I'm big on times uh, in track work. Um, I don't delve too much into it at the races because there's a lot of variables involved. Um, yeah. But I'm that particular about clocking horses, you know, in their gallops that I will sit in the exact same seat in the grandstand yep. every gallop, every gallop. Oh, and if someone's sitting in my seat, piss off. Mate, <laughs> it's out. Get out. You're the, uh, you're um, the king, of, king of Ballina, mate. It's yours. It's your throne. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I think Dave Chuko's <laughs> taking that crown off me at the moment. But uh, he's got a fair few more horses in work and a lot more big owners over in Japan. So uh, or owners with a lot more money than mine do. But, uh, you know, like there's there's a lot of variables involved in, in obviously training the horses. And if you can eliminate as many of them as you can, um, you're sort of going to be knowing where the horses are at at each mark. We use e-trackers. Um, a lot of trainers use heart rate monitors these days. You know, there's a diff- lot of different ones out in the market these days. But we we had the uh, European ones. I can't think of what they're called now. Um, don't matter. Um, but trying to get after, after sales service on them is very hard because obviously the time difference. So... I bit the bullet and paid a fortune for the e-trackers and having a look back was probably the best thing I ever did. Um, because a lot, they're a lot easier to decipher than the, the European ones. You nearly got to be a rocket scientist to start decipher, decipher the European ones we had. But um, we, we use the, the, the heart rate monitor, the e-trackers, I should say, um, in every gallop. Um, and we've just sort of started to use it a little bit more um, in slow work and stuff for, for different reasons, but you get a lot of different data in them and that obviously, you know, you can see the variables and that sort of stuff and, and you know, you can tell when a horse is sort of not quite 100%. Although a lot of trainers rely on that data wholly and solely, you know, you can look into things too much or not look into it enough by doing that. So at the end of the day, you still got to be a horseman. And, um, you know, if, if something something doesn't feel right, something doesn't look right, it's probably not right. So even though the heart rate monitor might say that everything's perfectly fine, you know, if you know that something's not, then you, you forget it. That these sort of aids, that's all they are is an aid. You know, you can, yeah. you can read into them too much or you can read into them not enough and, and end up, you know, finding yourself in a lot of trouble. At the end of the day, you still got to know what you're looking at. And, uh, um, you know, we, we use them and they're great. But at the end of the day, they're not the be-all and end-all. But, um, yeah, look, they've got to meet different criteria. If they can't, you know, they can't run a certain time the last 600 here at Ballina, then, you know, they're never going to win a maiden. If they if they break a certain time, you know, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to be competitive in metropolitan grade. So um, there's been a few that have sort of jumped out of the ground on race day that have sort of, sort of surprised us. I guess um, 40 short the day she won at Grafton. I'd only had a probably a month or six weeks or something and she was basically, she'd been freshened and, and sent to us and um, I didn't know a lot about her. I'd only sort of gave her a couple of pieces of work because she was a mare that sort of needed to be raced fresh and yep. she went to the race. And I sort of, 
I knew that she was going okay, but I didn't think she could win it. And she, she ended up pissing in and, and paid eighty dollars and the, the owners smashed her and they had a lot more confidence confidence in her than I did. But uh, you know, she she pissed in that day. But on the flip side of that, um, you know, I've had I had a horse named Iggy's boy and he could beat anything on the track, get out there on race day and and, and he put uh dints in the, the bull bar of the ambulance, you know, like he just yeah. would not go. So you don't want to um, no, 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 just like the social aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess, and that's what you're looking for, isn't it? With the horseman side of things, you you know your horse is better than the punters um, who just look for those little edges. So uh, I guess, well, with those owners that jagged at 80s, mate, you know your, your bills are going to get paid at least for the next couple of months, you'd hope. <laughs> yeah. What's... Uh, as, as we sort of keep touching on, mate, you, you're a young pup in the industry. Um, when it comes to, I guess, your stable, you know, I'd imagine there's a lot of networking involved that you probably don't like to do too much or, or you've just got to find new connections that could potentially become owners down the track. How do you find competing against, obviously, the big names in the area that have just been there and done it for 10, 15 years? Um, do you struggle with trying to find those new networks or it is a matter of just I've got to just get a good bunch of horses and, and sort of let the results do the sales for for yourself or is there is there a bit more behind it I know you're you're pretty on the social media side of things which I think's the way to go um, because that's where you can just get that little bit of an edge on on the dinosaurs like we say <laughs> yeah look I think I'm not huge on technology and Facebook and stuff like that and we I've always said that like you, you scroll through Facebook and and my Facebook in particular and every second or third post is Michael Costa or one of those other big fellas, you know, they're, they're always on it. Their presence is there. And, and that's, you know, it's what you've got to do these days. And I remember standing up the hut um, at the track there a couple of, couple of weeks ago talking to one of my old bosses and, and he said, oh, you know, I can't get owners, I can't sell shares in horses, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, you've got to get on Facebook. You're, ah, you know, crap Facebook. Yeah. Ah, ah. And, you know, I hate it too. I hate my head, you know, jammed everywhere. And I like to let the results do the talking. But if nobody's looking at the results, then they're not going to talk real loud, are they? So you've got to be there. You've got to have a social media presence. And, um, I was just lucky that uh, Matt from Expect to Win, um, he sent me a message a while back because, you know, Jay and I, we've, we've tried to keep up with the social media side of things. But when you, you know, you're working 14, 15, 16 hour days, the last yeah. thing you want to come do is put a story on bloody Instagram or, or Facebook or something. So it's good now. We, You know, Matt does all of our social media work um, and he's an absolute wizard. Um, the, the statistics he's improved our social media by is phenomenal. Um, and that helps a lot because, you know, everyone's got a Facebook page. It doesn't matter how old you are, you know, that you've got a Facebook page. Like my cousin signed my grandmother up to Facebook page the other day and, you know, she's 80 yeah. something. So, you know, everybody's on Facebook, Instagram, all that sort of jazz nowadays. So you've got to be there because if you're not, if you're not doing it, then, you know, you get forgotten about, you know, if they're not seeing your face on the next post, they scroll down to underneath Tony Gollins or bloody Michael Costas, then, you know, the next bloke underneath them is the third bloke in line, you know? So um, we've, we've ramped that up big time um, just in the last, I think we've had Matt working for us for, you know, probably about six weeks now we've ramped it up 
um, and the the results and the feedback's been unreal. Um, and that obviously helps. Like we've we've got a private page um, on on our on our Facebook that we sell shares through, um, and because you're not allowed to publicly uh, sell shares in horses without a syndicator's license, so right. we made a private group, which is our basically our network, um, and that's been a great tool that we've used when we we buy buy and sell horses. Um, like buy buy horses sell shares in them um and then obviously you can sort of put a few little connections um you know to that page through your other avenues through instagram stuff like that but uh you know we use a couple other sites to sell shares and that in but basically i built my stable from nothing um i was lucky i got a couple of owners straight off the mark when when i first started but you know when we started in casino i think we had five horses was what we had for the for the probably first six or eight months and makes it very very hard to to earn a living off of five horses so i had to work a couple of different jobs um but we basically grew from there just sheerly based on results and and doing as much social media work and that as we possibly could and you know i wasn't lucky enough to be handed a stable like mummy and daddy did didn't uh you know, they weren't trainers, so they couldn't hand me a stable. Like, um, you know, a fair few people sort of come in that way. Um, and I, my parents don't have a lot of money, um, so don't, they couldn't. Don't you, just, uh, don't you just hate your parents sometimes? Unbelievable. Yeah. Same for me, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for my million-dollar fortune, but they reckon they don't got the million dollars. So, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, makes it makes it a lot harder if you've got to, yeah. you know, you've got to, you got to start from scratch and, and, you know, they, obviously they supported me in everything I did, but they couldn't support me financially. Um, they could only help through other avenues. And, um, so that makes it that little bit harder as well. Like if you've got a backer, if you've got someone with, with the dough, it's very easy to go out and buy good horses and, and, and go to the races and make yourself look good. But when you've got to start from scratch and really, you know, scrounge around and make do with what you got, in a sense, it was hard and I wouldn't, you know, everybody wishes they could get it easier, but it, it, it made me the horseman, the trainer that I am. And I'm, you know, what I will be in the future, you know, like if you've got to, if you've got to work for it, it's much more rewarding. So we just, you know, just build it, build up over time, met different people, um, who've, you know, bought into horses. I've got some great owners. I've probably got the best bunch of owners I've had ever in the, you know, at the moment. So, um, you know, and, we try and make it as best best of an experience as we can. It's not, you know, sterile and rigid and everything like that. You know, like I've got a couple of owners there that ring me up and I'll go, you know, what the fuck do you want? You know, but they know it's, <laughs> it's a joke. They are, oh, you miserable little prick, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we don't joke and get off the end of the phone. We're pissing ourselves laughing at one another. And, you know, that's sort of, sort of the way I am. I tell it how it is. I like to have a joke and I upset a lot of people yeah. because of it, but I'm not going to change either. You know, like if, you know, if you're going to be a prude, then piss off. You know, I like, you know, I like to have a bit of fun and put shit on people, have people put shit on me and, you know, make it enjoyable. Like, but, and I guess that's what attracts a lot of people is that, you know, the, the sort of honesty, the integrity that we have and um, the no bullshit approach and say it how it is and have a bit of fun in the meantime. And I think a lot of people start to see that now. And obviously results are big, you know, if you, yeah. if you get results, um, people are going to follow you. So, um, you know, we've got those couple of, uh, 
Metropolitan winners now on the board, which took a long time to come, but we've got them now and hopefully we can keep building on that and got some nice horses coming through. We've spent a lot of money at the sales this year, which is good. So, yeah. Oh, awesome, man. And look, that's just on that. I mean, we've we've sort of started to, to dive into the syndication side of things as well. And it's realistically a horse might race five, five to ten times a year if you're lucky. Um, it's the experience side of things that what, you know, you, you sort of touched on your social media is great is when I go upstairs and, and tell the better half, look, I've just dropped three grand on 5% of a horse. She goes, well, show me the horse. Well, I can just go to your social media page and go, here it is having a gallop, doing this, doing that. Whereas, you know, we've, we've dealt with syndicates in the past where it's, here's your receipt. We'll let you know when it's running two years later, haven't heard a thing. So I think that's the the big takeaway point. Even, you know, we've got many trainers that listen to this, mate, because, of course, everyone uh, loves listening to us nonstop. But that that really is as simple as it is to to be a really good, engaging trainer to really putting a bad taste in someone's mouth because if the experience is great and then the results come, well, they're your clients for your next purchase and your next purchase and your next purchase. So it's it's just the snowball, which is awesome. Yeah. For sure, like it, communication these days, with everybody holding a, a computer in in their back pocket, basically with iPhones and stuff. If you're not getting an update off your trainer at least once a week, then your trainer's just a slack ass, basically, because everybody's got a phone in their pocket. They've all got cameras on them better than you know they've ever been, and. You know, like there's there's so many tools now. There's Prism, MyStable, um, you know, all of those Artex, all those different things where you basically can, you know, once you've got all the owners in the system and, you know, everything's all set up properly, which isn't that hard. I'm a tech tard, so I can work out how to do it. Anybody can work out how to do it. By the time, like once that's done, all you got to do is take a video and press send and it's sent to every owner and everybody owner is getting the same thing. And if, if you're not getting, if you're not getting updates from your trainer, then your trainer's just a lazy prick. And it's as simple as what it, you know, some of us obviously work harder than others um, because we have to, we don't have countless staff member members. So sometimes, you know, you, some trainers, you'll get an update every second day to me, you know, not that much changes from day to day. So yeah. I think that's point just repeating yourself and wasting people's time and energy. Um, but if, you know, we, we take a video update of all ours every week. Um, uh, when we get out to the farm, we try and, I don't do it as often with spellers because all you're basically saying is, Hey, look, your horse is sitting in a paddock. Yeah. Um, it looks good. Basically that's it. But you it's know, eating I'll, I'll, that's, it's eating grass yeah. and it's alive. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Boring as bat shit. But <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, We'll try and get as many, like we go out there probably once a fortnight to drop horses off, pick horses up. So I'll get one, you know, once a fortnight. If we're in a hurry, I won't bother. You know, we'll get one the next time we go out. But um, if you're not getting something from your trainer each week, then there's no excuse for it, really. Like, you know, you've got to do it. People, you know, people are paying good money for their horses to be trained. The least you can do is let them know that it's still alive. Mate, here, here, couldn't have said it better myself. Been saying it for years now, so that's all right. Mate, well, you, you sort of touched on your, your starting point there with what, sort of six to eight horses. Tell us the success now. So how many, I guess, horses are under your name? Um, how many are sort of in work? And, and even if you do have uh, a couple of purchases, 
what's the best way that someone listening to this could probably get in touch with you to, to find a bit more information out? Yeah, well, look, we started, like I said, you know, with pretty low numbers in casino. Um, I had a stable uh, over the other side of town, so I was away from uh, all the bullshit that happens on tracks. Um, <laughs> and we built, at, at one point there, we had, we, we built it up to, we had three different stables. I had my main stable, which had eight or ten boxes there. We ended up building a couple more on the end. Um, I had five at the track and then I had, I think it was another five or six at Pat Randall's place because we were looking at buying his place, but that didn't eventuate. Um, then, you know, you're always going up and down in numbers. You get horses there that sort of, you know, that they reach their mark. You got to move them on or retire them or whatever. Um, basically, we outgrew Casino and moved to, to Ballina. Um, and it was a great move. We've, we've had a lot of success here um, since moving here. Um, and we've basically got uh, two, we've got three different barns here, um, all on the same complex. We've got two lots, two barns of six, which uh, one of them's empty at the moment. The other one's only half full. And then we've got um, another 11 uh, in our main block, uh, which that's full at the moment. So at the moment we've got, uh, 15 in work. Uh, we did have 25 before COVID, but unfortunately, Racing New South Wales decided they can a heap of race meetings, like non-tab and half-tab, well, not half-tab, but non-tab race meetings. Um, yep. So that sort of, there was a bit of a flow-on effect. Horses that should have probably been going to Brisbane midweek sort of races, then were coming back and racing in, you know, your, your tab quality country races around here. So that meant horses that would, you know, normally go to a tab meeting were going to a half tab meeting. Horses that would normally go to a half tab meeting then had nothing left because there was nothing to go to a non-tab meeting. You know, there was no non-tab meetings. And, and then obviously your, your non-tab horses were yeah, obsolete, I guess you could say. So yeah, we basically made a decision to look after the interests of a lot of our clients by saying, listen, you know, when... God knows when this COVID crap's going to end. Um, you know, we're not going to keep your horses in work here to, to, to go to the races and run, you know, sixth and seventh beat and 10 lengths and, you know, just keep drawing money out of you. And we we basically lost half the stable in, within two weeks of, of, um, mm. of COVID starting. So, you know, although it was in the best interest of the clients, it wasn't in the best interest of us, that's for sure. I think. Um, the turnover in the on on zero, I think at this point um, last year was about six hundred thousand. Uh, this year it's about two hundred and thirty-five. So, base and basically what Jade and I have to share a wage and and uh, basically for every hundred thousand that goes to the bank account, we get ten. So we've worked every day, non-stop for the last twelve months for. Twelve and a half thousand dollars each. You know, it's it makes it hard, but the you know the prize money and stuff like that. You know, it every everything basically runs through the business except for food and stuff like that. So I guess it's a, a lot easier to work to to live off twelve and a half thousand when everything goes through the business and what it is. If you were, you know, that was it. So yeah, we we lost half the stable. But at the moment we've got fifteen in work um, and. Uh, 
probably six or eight in the paddock at the moment. Um, so we've, we've gone on a big shopping spree this year at the sales. We've, we've been very active at the sales, spent more money than um, we ever have. Uh, we, we ended up picking one up and book one at the, uh, the Magics, uh, which was a bit of a thrill. Paid 40000 for a nice Hellbent cult. Uh, through in, uh, in in conjunction with Impact Thoroughbreds, who we've we've just teamed up with, great bunch of blokes that uh, they're they're a bit like you and I, you know, they're in it to, to to get winners and have a bit of fun. They sort of they're a syndication company, but they're not there to that's not their whole whole sole business. Um, they just race horses with different people and have fun and get on the piss and you know have a big party when one gets up. But we bought him. I also bought a Invader Colt with. Um, a few clients from the Magics um, that we may send through the Breeze Up sales. Then uh, I think our next purchase was the Rubik filly, which um, we've just finished breaking in. Bought her out of the Melbourne sales for 16000 Can't understand why I haven't finished selling her. She's an absolute cracker of a filly. I don't – we do a lot of all our, our own breaking ourselves yeah. if we can. Um, so we broke her in and usually I don't, with my yearlings, I won't take them to the track. Once they're finished breaking in, that's it. I don't like to push them too far because you start asking them to do too much. They start getting sour on things and you end up causing too many problems in the long run. So once they're finished breaking in, I usually tip them out in the paddock, but we sort of had her for half broken in. Then we had all that rain where it just didn't stop raining for about six weeks so I had to tip her out and brought her back and we tried to kill two birds with the one stone and we did. Um, she's going to the paddock very, very shortly. She's taking everything, taking everything in like a duck to water. She's an absolute cracker. Like I said, I, I just can't understand why we haven't finished. Like we haven't fully sub- had, had her fully subscribed. She's, she's got everything going for us. She's got a great page. Um, nothing, you know, like confirmation's perfect. Um, she's, you know, absolute little cracker. So anyone listening that wants a, 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 a share in something that, uh, you know, really nice type, really nice page, ticking all the boxes and not, not going to break the budget. Um, she's, she's one of them. Uh, then we bought a invader cult from the, uh, classic sales for 30,000 sold him in a heartbeat. This is why I can't understand why we can't sell the cheaper ones, but (laughs) Sold him in a heartbeat. He's a dead spit of his father, Invader. Um, he's a little cracker, half brother to the dissident cult, uh, dissident gelding we've got at the moment, who we think goes pretty good. His first trial was pretty average, but he went shinsaw in it, so he's just come back. And we we're looking at speaking of heart rate monitors, we we're comparing him to Torrens, who's obviously yeah. uh, the best we've had come through our stable, and, and the uh, the stats are almost identical. You'd think that you know it's the same horse. We've just put the wrong name in there, but. Um, so we've got the half brother to him, which is, he's a real nice little type. And, uh, and then the Churchill cult was a bit of a, he's a bit of an ugly duckling. Um, but how many of those stories have we seen? Takeover targets, one of the ugliest horses I've ever seen. Um, and he was an champion, but Churchill bloke, it's a bit of an ugly duckling, but if you look past his imperfections, He's actually got a really, really nice stride on him. Um, 
he's been broken in. We'll give him a bit of time because obviously by Churchill, we think he'll probably be more of a three-year-old type. But picked him up for 6000 in the cuter sale in March. Um, he's nice, big, strong, cold. He's just got – he's just ugly. Um, and, you know, it's not a beauty contest out there. It's who can, who can uh, you know, get to the line quickest. And he – you know, we, we're really impressed with the way he's broken in and, and what he's shown us so far. Like, he can absolutely, he's got ugly legs on him, but he can move like an, an absolute champion, you know. So, and like I said, we only paid six grand for him. I wanted a Churchill, right or wrong. And um, a lot of the Churchills have similar sort of issues. And Torrens, being by, Gal- being by Adelaide, who's by Galileo, Churchill's obviously by Galileo too. We're starting to think that maybe they throw a few little issues in their legs and stuff like that. And, you know, we, Torrens has won. He won us five races uh, when he was here, two two at Metropolitan Grade, um, and you know a lot of lot of Metropolitan placings and stuff like that. And he had ugly legs on him too. So you know it's just they're born they're born like it. Um, they you know they don't know any different. So you know if they, if they move and and move in the right ways, which he does, then there's nothing saying that they can't run. It's all about the heart at the end of the day. If they don't have the heart, then they're not going to run. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I think I think most most people are sort of pre-framed to, well, your Magic Millions, obviously. The, the dream is that you buy a horse there and you're back the next year for the sprint for the two-year-olds. When, you know, when you're talking Galileos, you're looking at, you know, development to, to sort of that four or five-year-olds when they're really going to hit their stride. So... I'm just having a look at your website now. They're both up there. Um, EthanEnsbyRacing.com.au. Um, but even um, even both of these, are, you've, you've got all your nominations. So I, I sort of tell people if you're if you're buying, you know, let's say five percent share in a horse that's costing you five grand, that horse has to win a hundred thousand dollars at the track before you're even going to start having some fun financially. So. I mean, when you're looking at horses that you can buy into cheaper, have a lot of fun with it. The joy is just getting to the track to, as you said, mate, have a bloody rip a day with your friends, watching your horse go around. It really doesn't matter if it's a maiden or a Melbourne Cup. If you have a winner as an owner, um, there's probably not a lot in life that uh, gets you a little bit more semi-downstairs, if you know what I mean, than that. So by all means, mate, that's, that's, that's the way what we love to hear. And it's good to see that you've got a... Well, entry price level for people that want to really have a, a good crack at having some fun with it. Yeah, that's right. You know, how many times have we seen the uh, the lower priced horses come out and be champions? Like, it was buffering was about twenty thousand or something like that. Takeover target yep. was fourteen. You know, like, you know, you don't have to spend millions to get a champion, and nine times out of ten, those million dollar pops end up being flops. You know, they end up starting in Melbourne and ended up in our stable racing around Tabulum on the, you know first Saturday in November picnic meeting out there, you know, like there's been plenty of those turn up. So, well, even mate, even I guess you, you, you said you, you divulge into the sales a bit is, is that sort of the next five years for you? Do you find um, trying to bring these yearlings in to a level or, or do you still sort of keep your eye on the tried horse sales and, and try to have a bit of turnover like that? Is it one way to the other or is it a matter of, You've just got to have your finger on the button on everything, I guess, don't you? Yeah, basically. Like, we we sort of delved into the um, the yearling market because the tridles market is just absolutely ridiculous at the moment. Um, yeah. I can't justify. The way I buy horses 
to, to make some sort of a profit for the, the owners. So if, if I look at a horse, uh, look at its form and that on English Digital or Bloodstock Auction or whatever, um, if I think I can only win a maiden with it, then I won't pay any more than probably five or $6,000 for it. Um, if I think I can win three or four races for it with it, then I'll, I'll pay a little bit more. But if I don't think I can get, well, nothing's guaranteed, obviously, you know, we've, we've bought horses that like have put dints in the front of the ambulance plenty of times. But um, the problem with the or sale at the moment is, is there's a lot of people trying to offload horses or especially not so much now, but last year when COVID was on, you know, people losing their jobs and this and that and something else. And, People were offloading horses that um, they just they had a lot of problems and people needed the money, so they they're not they weren't being completely honest about why they were selling the horses. Yeah. Um, and I hate not at, at least winning a race with, with with a horse. Like you know, you want to get something back for the owners. Um, and so we, we sort of bought two or three last year that didn't. They just didn't live up to what they should have. Um, and I said, well, and then we bought a couple that had problems, which, you know, I didn't sell on to owners because you, you just can't. Like, if you know, a horse has got a problem. You try and sell it to somebody and, you know, they find out in the end, which yep. everybody does, can't hide anything from anyone. You get um, a phone call to deal with it, don't you? That's the thing. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, like we... <laughs> I just said, stuff it. I'm not buying. Well, I'm not. I'm going to be a lot, lot more particular on what I buy out of the tried horse sale. Not that we weren't, but I, I just wanted to steer away from it for a little while, um, and have a go at the yearling sales. And I was lucky that uh, Torrens won on uh, Boxing Day in Brisbane, um, and then the next day Olympic Gift won at Wollumbah, and James Harrison from Impact Thoroughbreds was going through the results and uh, he goes, who's this Ethan Ensby bloke? We're, they were looking for a trainer up here because um, I've got a lot of horses with Damien Lane in, in Wyong, but, a, you know, a fair few of their owners for, are from up here. And when COVID was on, they, you know, they couldn't see their horse. You know, they'd never seen their horse before. Couldn't go to the races, couldn't do anything. So they wanted a trainer up here so that, you know, they could go to the races. They could see their horse in the flesh and, and stuff like that. And James sent me an email and said, listen, you know, I'd be interested in having a talk. You come down and, you know, it all went from there. We've, we've met uh, Darren Law, Lawsy now. He's one of the main blokes in it as well. And great bunch of blokes. And they wanted to buy from the yearling sales. They sort of didn't want to buy anything from the tried sales and stuff. They wanted to delve yep. into that. And that sort of, I guess, um, put us in a bit better position at the, at the, at the sales. And, um, I said to the missus, you know, we'll just, we're just going to have to put our balls on the line here and, and uh, you know, spend money that we don't have and, and, and try and rebuild the, the stable with young stock because our strike rate with the young stock that we, we buy and, um, and take to our system is phenomenal. I think, you know, um, Olympic Gift, we bought the same year we bought Olympic Gift, Shotgun Bobby and None Can Run. Well, Olympic Gifts won a race. Shotgun Bobby won at Ipswich a couple of weeks ago. Um, and... Uh, look like both of them are looking like good horses and none can run has more brains than the barrier attendants around here and they couldn't get her into the gates so and she ended up uh, getting a little injury which she had to be in the paddock for a while but she's just come back it's probably done us the world of good her having to go to the paddock because she's absolutely flying she's looking at absolute treat um 
she's shown the, the two times that they did get her into the gates. Just, uh, can, you, can you spell it out? I'm just writing this down, mate. Uh, <laughs> none the gun, the awesome. <laughs> none, none can run. None. She's, she's out of the flying none by uh, real impact. So, yeah, they, the boys called her none run. Um, so, have I still got you? Yep. Oh, the girl, old girl just tried to ring me. Um, they, uh, so, yeah, she's, she's absolutely fine. She goes, I've nominated her this morning um, to go to Lismore next week. If the track's right, we'll go to Lismore. But she's absolutely fine. Her two trials that she's, she has had, she's trialled against open company horses and uh, um, run second to them both times, you know, pretty, pretty easily. So, and I think that time that she's had in the paddock has furnished like it's a it's a blessing in disguise you know no, nobody wants to go to the paddock yeah. for three four months but she i think she needed it um and it just forced us to have the patience that we probably wouldn't have had otherwise um especially after seeing a trial the way she did but um you know we, she's the only one from that year of the yearling side of things that hasn't won a race and that's because she hasn't been in the races yet and i think she could probably nearly get the job done first up i haven't obviously haven't looked at noms haven't looked at the race but um she's you know she's got a lot of class about her and hopefully uh you know she replicates it on on race day hopefully she's not another iggy's boy but uh um yeah you know like our, our strike weight with those those horses that we've bought has been great the the next year's yearlings are the two-year-olds now and unfortunately none of them have quite made it to the track but we've got fairly big raps on um on midorio who's obviously the, the the dissident that i was talking about before who's got very very similar statistics on the heart rate monitors as, as torrens and sort of surprised me a little bit because i thought he'd be more that 1400 to 1600 meter type but on the heart rate monitor um given his st statistics and stuff like that he probably looks like he might stretch out a, a little bit further so it'll just you know it it works out better. It's going to mean he's going to be more versatile than what I originally thought. So, um, and I think the only other one we bought that year was uh, the Seamus Award filly who's um, in the paddock, but she's probably going to be aimed more towards that three-year-old type as well, you know? So yeah, um, we've, we've had a lot of success with the, the young ones we've bought. So I thought, well, you know, stuff it. We're not buying somebody else's problem. If we fuck them up, we know where we fucked them up. So it's a lot easier to deal with them that way. And, you know, the strike rate, uh, we, we buy the cheaper types because we just don't have the money to buy the more expensive ones. Like this year, we spent 132000 on yearlings and that's the, the most we've ever spent. Like usually the, the most expensive horse that's ever come through the stable was uh, Lady Grande. We paid $15,000 for her, you know. Um, so go and pay 40000 for one, then another 40000 two days later for another one and then 30000 It was a bit nerve-wracking, but... We've, we've uh, you know, we've got some really nice horses there with some really nice clients as well and um, just got to fill those last two. And, yeah, but it's a lot easier dealing with horses that you know you know what's what's happened to them, you know where they're at and stuff like that than what it is buying somebody else's problem. And I just can't justify spending a fortune on other people's problems, well, I basically. Guess, yeah. And I guess I guess that's your, that's your, your thrill, isn't it, that when you're getting the, the yearlings in that, yeah, you have them from obviously the get-go to the races and it's your system that just gives you the faith to go, well, I'm doing a lot of things right. I'm seeing the rewards. Um, as you said, a tried horse just rocks up and shit, looks like we've got six months of fixing the fuck-ups that have happened at the other end before we can, you know, get back to day one and, and trying to get this thing to go. So, yeah, look, it's... um. 
and as you said, mate, we're we're talking sort of horses in the stable, so it's exciting times for uh, the owners and whatnot as well. But Torrens, mate, um, was Torrens? Well, I guess Torrens probably put you on the map a little bit for us as well because I think we we backed him. Um, all those starts up here in Brizzy put a bit of a uh, cricket fence together. Is it a result of the COVID that you were talking about that Torrens is no longer in your stable, or, or what's what's going on with the champ? Uh, no. Or, or if you want to go on a rant, mate, this is your time. This is what the people want. Uh, is it, is yeah, it no, more, more so the owners uh, have decided yeah. to, that they know better than you, I'd imagine? <laughs> uh, not so much Not so much the owners. The, the owner, um, I don't want to talk too out of school, but <laughs> the owner wasn't entirely impressed with the move. Uh, unfortunately, he's leased by um, uh, some some overseas connections and they have this idea that he's going to be a stallion. Um, he's obviously still a, 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 well, a stallion now. He was a cult, but uh, he's, he's a stallion. Um, they have this idea that they're going, to, they're going to upgrade his stallion profile by sending him down to Sydney, which I guess... Um, if that's what you're trying to achieve, then, you know, it's, it's the right move. But uh, basically what happened is I suggested that the horse needed to be gelded or, or should be gelded and that we'd have yeah. a lot more fun with the horse if he was. Uh, Brad Pengelly wrote him at his last start for us and said, listen, mate, he just did not feel like he was interested in this one little bit. Um, and he said, mate, I think it's time the two stones went. Um, looking at his form, he's never going to make a stallion proposition, but they have this idea that they can make him a stallion and send him over to Vietnam. Um, I have to respect that. It's hard as it was to take. Uh, you've trained a Metropolitan winner with him three starts back, uh, yeah. two starts back, he runs second at Metropolitan grade. The last start, you know, probably was probably one start too many, that preparation and, you know, through no fault of anybody's, you know, you, you live and you learn and then uh, you make a suggestion five minutes later, you get an, a, an email at eight o'clock at night to say that he's going on the next truck to Sydney um, and that you, the, you've lost him, you know, it's sort of, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's part and parcel to racing. It's, you know, I'm not the only one who's had their, their best horse taken off them. I think it was the same, around the same time as that Tiana Robinson or Robertson was had Fabergino taken off and sent to Chris Wally, you know. So yep. happens to everyone, unfortunately. Um, like I said, I just, just got to cop it on the chin. Um, and if he's still racing well at the end of the lease, um, and the and the lease doesn't get extended, the owner up here in Brisbane said he's on the first track back to you. So um, I just got to hope, pray that uh, everything all holds up well while he's down in uh, in Sydney and uh, I'm sure, you know, Laurie will look after him. Um, he's had two trials back now and um, so it's obviously not far away from racing. We, we obviously keep a very close eye on him. He's, the, the, the hardest part about the whole that whole situation was he was like a child to me and Jade. Um, the staff loved him. Mum and Dad obviously loved him. Uh, it, it hurt more that because we've sort of had him from day dot and we've brought him along we've we've been on the ride we've you know he hasn't been the easiest horse to train obviously anybody who remembers the day that Matty McGilvray rode him at uh eagle no Doombin, i think it was our uh, first day with the blinkers on where he led by about 40 
Um, and yep. I thought yeah, I thought going. I could see Cathay Pacific plane flying out of Brisbane with him on it that day. I thought I'd be dropping him off at the airport and he'd be going to Singapore. But uh, the owners copped it on the chin, especially when he, you know, he almost hung on and and uh, and nabbed it. But uh, I no sooner did I get back to the day stores, the blinkers were taken off and the and the gear changes and the winkers went on. So. Um, <laughs> Then he won his next start with with Dittman on, but uh, yeah, look, I, I have to respect the, the the decision. I don't have to like it. I don't like it. Um, a lot of people have commented on it and said that it's a pretty pretty disappointing, to put it nicely, that they did what they did. But uh, like I said, you know, I'm I'm not gonna. I've got to respect the owner's decision. If if that's what they're trying to do, he's in the best place for it. But is he going to make it? No. <laughs> yep. Oh, mate, I can imagine it. it's it's an absolute bloody kick to the guts. But look, hopefully we have a bit of a joke every week that we have a, a Chris Waller mid middle distance staying handicap for horses that don't know really what they're doing. So fingers crossed the karma bus comes back around, mate, and you get a you get a handy little stay that's taken off a bigger stable because they want the special treatment and and a bit of a different change of scenery with the Ballina hinterland. It'd be good, good and nice for you. <laughs> yep. Um, well, mate, we well you're sort of venturing into Queensland a little bit. Um, is I guess sort of your next stage of your business. I mean, you know, stuff like that happens. You you have to wake up the next day and get back to work, don't you? So, long term plan is a is it more coming into Queensland a little bit better? Do you find I don't know maybe is it the the competition a little easier up here? Is it just the prize money is just a, a feasible option to go? Look, we're we're racing for just as much money at Toowoomba than what we would be here. Chuck them on the truck and let's be competitive. No, nah, basically we just go there because they put the races on to suit us, you know. Um, they you know, have truck wheel travel. Obviously, we don't have the uh, we don't have a, a bunch of uh, city class horses sitting in the stables, and that means you've got to do a lot of travelling. Um, and you know, like I'm. As much as I hate driving, um, I'm not afraid to load the truck up with the horses and go to Toowoomba if they've got the races on that suit us, you know. And I was going to go to Dalby last Friday, but unfortunately it rained and unleashed the red end, spin that wheel, can't pick their feet up in the wet. Like, yeah. you know, you always get on the track and, and they're, you know, throwing up the white flag. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we've, we've had a couple of hit and run missions to, to Toowoomba with a fair bit of success. Um, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, obviously, Atomic Feather and Spin That Wheel won the last two races up there and Shotgun Bobby uh, cost himself the win in the first race and run second under Kyle Wilson-Taylor. Um, and I keep telling him it was him that slaughtered it, but it wasn't. It was the horse. Um, yeah, that's what apprentices but, are for, right? You can, you can uh, <laughs> tell them it's always their fault. <laughs> Uh, Kyle and I are good mates. And uh, once again, getting back to putting shit on people, I'm... I'm not the sort of person who'll stand there and say, oh, you did a really good job today. I'll pick, like, I'll find something you did wrong and put shit on you. And even if I can't find something you did wrong, I'll, I'll just put shit on you for the fun of it. And, and Kyle and I have that. So. But, uh, you know, we've been to Toowoomba, you know, we go up there, not regularly, but we go up there a bit. Um, got a fair few winners up there. I think Winkler won first up over 2,000 metres or something up there with Josh Oliver, Josh Oliver aboard around this time last year. Um, uh, speed giving won us a race up there. Um, who else we had win up there? We've had a fair few, but uh, 
you know, like I've even, we go to Tamworth. I've been to Tamworth twice now. Um, I took one of the best horses I've ever thrown a saddle on to Tamworth and he absolutely pissed in, took him to the, uh, a tab highway the next start. Um, and unfortunately sustained an injury, which he had to be put down. Uh, it took me a long time to go back to Sydney. Um, once again, he was like a, a child to me. Um, almost gave up training because of it, but, uh, you know, he, uh, we, we've been to Tamworth. Um, uh, we go to, we've, I've got a hundred percent strike rate at Port Macquarie. It's been a bit of a springboard to fame with, uh, at my two first Metropolitan winners. Torrens obviously yeah. won his start there before he went to the sunny coast. Um, and partnership won his start there. Oh, fair while before he won at Equal Farm, but, um, I've, yeah, they're the only two horses I've taken to, to Port Macquarie, so I've got a hundred percent strike rate there. Don't really well, want to go back into another that's one. What you need, mate. That's that's what looks good <laughs> on the uh, the sales sheet when you're trying to get rid of horses. <laughs> yeah, so uh, um, I think Port Macquarie. Oh no, we've been to Sydney twice. Um, obviously, with the Turbo Star the first time, and and Partnership went down there, and he didn't disgrace himself. So they're the furthest two places we've been. South and west, we, you know, I, go, I try to go to deep water every year if I can. If I've got horses going bad enough to take you out there, it's yep. a great day. Absolutely love it. Um, That's the other the other side of trainers that you must enjoy. Just let's find a, a nice little country meet where we can tear tear some shit up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we trained trained a winner out there a couple of years back. It was a, about a heavy forty, I reckon, and Coop Valid just. In the fourteen hundred meter race, Craig Franklin just sent it to the front, and there was no catch. And it was, you know, basically wherever you jumped, that's where you stayed because it was bottomless. But uh, trained a winner out there. Um, we've been to Bar- like Barrowville. We've got a winner there. Um, we've, we've trained a winner at every every track between Port Macquarie and the Sunshine Coast, and out to Toowoomba, except for um, Coffs Harbour. And yep. Coffs Harbour, Kempsey and Doombin are the, uh, are the only tab tracks we haven't, we haven't trained a winner at between all of them. But, uh, yeah, look, I'll, I'll go anywhere if, it, uh, if we have to. If they're putting the races on to suit us, I'll go there. There's no point. They're not going to win races sitting in a box at home, that's for sure. Yeah, and, mate, I guess that's, you know, whether that was your long-term plan with Ballina, um, you're smack bang in the middle as well. So it, it actually makes it you know, feasible to go, look, Toowoomba's X amount away. We've got a chance of winning this race. This is where we're going to go rather than, I guess, yeah, you, you know, you're stuck into being in Sydney that you're racing in Sydney every week with, with what they put on there. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Look, we, 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 we want to, you know, we probably move to Queensland, I think. Um, oh. <clears throat> hey. Breaking news here on the mugs, mate. I like it. <laughs> oh look! If if I could get enough boxes at Toowoomba, I reckon I'd be there in a heartbeat. But um, it's just hard. Nowhere we've sort of really got any uh, anywhere with with enough room for us, basically. Um, uh, so you know, I I honestly think that uh, Victoria is the the pinnacle state in racing in New South Wales uh, in Australia. Sorry. Um, and Queensland's not far behind. I think New South Wales is behind Queensland, to be completely honest with you. Right. Um, yeah, I, you Me, know, please, everybody, don't worry. <laughs> every, everybody loves to blow wind up Volandis' ass, but uh, 
you won't see me doing that. That's for sure. I think yeah. when, if you ask any trainers in Northern New South Wales, we're, we're basically the Bermuda Triangle up here. Nobody, we don't belong to anybody. You know, we're, it, you, you drive past Port Macquarie and you just hit this black hole basically as far as racing's concerned. And, we're not a part of Queensland, so Queensland Racing doesn't want anything to do with us and we're too far away from Sydney for Philandis' liking, so yeah. um, we don't get anything, you know. So um, I I think because of that, there's there's a lot of reasons why. I think Melbourne, uh, Victoria's obviously, they're across the board with everything, you know. Like, you only got to see what they've, what they've put in place with, um, with the Melbourne Cup now. Um, you, you know, they're not afraid to to boot out their, their biggest trainer, you know, Darren Weir. Like, yeah. I, I was a massive fan of Weary's and, and uh, you know, they had no hesitations on getting rid of him, you know. Like, the integrity down there um, and the way they run everything, I think, is lengths ahead of anywhere else. Um, and Queensland, everybody says that Queensland's backward. Um, I'll be the first one to say that, you know, most of the time they're more than an hour behind the rest of us. But... As far as racing is concerned, I, I believe they're ahead of us. And, and if the Gold Coast does get what they're getting and all these trainers keep going up there, you know, Queensland's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And, and New South Wales, they, their belief is if you throw money at people, it shuts them up. Um, but they're not addressing the real issues. And they're going to get left behind. It's as simple as that. You know, like you can have an Everest that fills the pockets of the bigger fellas Every yep. year, you can have a Kosciuszko that only attracts, you know, very similar trainers every year, very similar owners every year. Um, and the country championship, like, I believe the country championships, the shine's gone off the country championships. If you look at the country championships this year, I think that the, the winner of the country championships qualifier here in, in uh, the Northern Rivers was a class one horse. The favourite was definitely a class one horse in Tara yep. Jasmine, you know, like, the horse goes good, don't get me wrong, and, and deserved to be there. But you're not getting your best horses to it. And, you know, like before, I know when it first started, everyone would go to the Magic Million sales and they go, we need to find a horse to win the country championships. Now, you don't hear that. You know, you've still got your Cody Morgans who, and, and those sort of fellas who are closer to Sydney and they've got the clientele that want to sort of aim towards those races. They're still going towards it. But your normal old trainers around here, we just, you know, we want to find horses that are going to go to Brisbane and win us $42,000 every time, you know, every time we're going around, not, you know, yeah. put a pigeonhole it for 12 months and, and bloody go to, you know, go to one race meet in a year because, you know, can't have more than 20 starts and it can't have won more than five races. Like, you know, it's just, just bullshit, well, you know, like, so I think pointless. Even, I think even with, with the Kosciuszko, they've, it's probably, well, uh, from what, from what I can hear, it's a bit late, but they've, they found the way to exploit the system there anyway, a lot of the bigger trainers and owners anyway. So um, I guess guess you're right. It's good to hear that you give Queensland a rat, mate, because that's been our big message the last few years is where we're a bit of the laughing stock of, of the, the racing world. And it, it sort of almost seems that the, the authorities up here are happy to go with that. I know a lot of the trainers and participants up here agree with you 100%. Um, that the product's great, you're attracting the right kind of trainer, and it's fair game, more importantly, because, you know, someone like yourself, you want to come to Saturday against a Golan and a Heathcote, knowing that, well, it's a level playing field, I'm, I'm going to be competitive, um, because that's what keeps you going as well, more than anything, doesn't it? 
Yeah. Well, I guess the only reason why the Queensland's sort of the laughing stock of, of everything is, is, you know, they don't try and hide everything um, yeah. like they do down here, you know, like um, the whole curry saga, you know, like everybody knew about it. But if the same, if a similar thing happened in New South Wales, it'd go under, you know, the magic carpet and yeah. never be heard of, you know, like, and the same as in Victoria, like, you, you know, you look at, uh, you look at race net and uh, those sort of things. And, and, you know, you've got, you know, Toby or, or Heathcote or someone like that, they're potting something that's going on up there because they know that it's going to get um, listened to. The only way you get listened to is, if, you know, you put shit on someone and, and they can, they can freely do that. Like they have, you know, the good old Australian freedom of speech, but here in New South Wales, you even put your little, little toe out of line and, you know, someone's down your throat telling you to shut up, you know, like it's, okay. we, we want shit done around here, you know, like Ballina, the, the tracks around here, we've got some great trainers here. We've got some great facilities, but they're dated, yeah. you know, and, um, we just want a bit of money to help. And, and the, the clubs are, they're, they're, obvi- they're, they're just putting themselves, you know, on the brink of bankruptcy to keep it up to, to up to scratch because we're not close enough to Sydney for Volandis to give a shit about us, you know? And, yeah. you know, you go, you go and put that on a public forum, you go and ring someone at RaceNet and they won't put it out there because it's all, you know, oh, we can't, can't put shit on Mr. Volandis. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the first one. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I think, I think, well, as I said, mate, I think it's, it's echoed the, an extra million dollars for the Everest prize pool. Well, A, where's that money coming from? Uh, and I'm sure it would go a long way going to, you know, sort of more, your more grassroots country as well. I think that's well common thread that the top the top five percent who own ninety five percent of the market make the call, don't they? Yeah. Well, you know, like the rehoming crap that they've got here in New South Wales. Like my belief is, you know, that the the pre- prevention is better than the cure. If you if you fix your tracks up and you have better surfaces for horses to race on. Horses aren't going to get the injuries and end up at these rehoming farms. So yeah. you're going to save yourself a heap more money. And yeah. and a sound horse is a lot easier to rehome than something with an injury, regardless of how minute it might be. If, you know, the showies, they, they want, you know, absolute perfection. And if it's got an, a tiny little imperfection, then you can't rehome it. And, you know, like prevention is better than the cure. If you're going to go and spend millions of dollars buying all these farms, why not throw a bit of money at... Um, you know, some of the tracks and, you know, like you, you've got this, the same argument we have up here is, um, you know, we don't need a country championships. We don't need a Kosciuszko. If you up the prize money and make our tracks better, we can earn just as much money going around every Saturday than what we can pigeonholing horses for, for, you know, one race a year. Like, you know, it's, I, I just think, they just they just cater too much to the, the top end here in New South Wales. Whereas you, you see in Victoria, um, a lot of your younger trainers like Matt Kamani, Archie Alexander, you know, Maddie Raymond, she's just gone out on her own after working for Weary and, and, and Lindsay Smith and that. And they've all got full barns. And you look in Queensland, you know, like you guys have got Will Hulbert, you know, um, he's got a heap of horses in work and, and, and going well. And, Curry, when he was up there, like he was, you know, he was flying and, and he had boxes full of horses and, 
Um, you know, Billy Healy, he's got boxes for the horses and stuff like that. Where us sort of fellas down here, we're, we're better located to, to get the, you know, best end of the um, the prize, both in, in New South Wales and Queensland. And, you know, we, we struggle to get horses. They're just, you know, there's more support in those areas because those blokes, you know, they, they've got, I, I don't know, it's just something about it that they seem to be able to do better than us down here because, you know, there's more support in those areas where in New South Wales, they just want to support the fossils. Yep. Mate, I think, uh, well, I think it's to sum it up, if, uh, if you're winning cash on a Saturday from your horses, I know exactly where that money's going and it's straight back into your stable, into the owners that you have just to grow what you've built already. So 100%, man. Well, look, I know uh, some big wigs in New South Wales will listen. So unfortunately, headlines, mate, looking after horses from day one doesn't sell newspapers. I think that's what <laughs> the media is all about, but... Mate, you've been uh, you've been awesome with your time. I've I really enjoyed chatting to you because it's good to hear, you know, from the industry what you sort of see that that we look outside in, um, the box so to speak. But the big one, mate, your big goal in training. There's got to be a race. It could be the Melbourne Cup. It, it's obviously not a uh, Kosciuszko. But what is nah. the, the one carrot um, that look? It's just you wake up every day and go, one day I want to get a horse that I know I can have a decent crack at, at this. What is it for you? Melbourne Cup. Without a doubt, the Melbourne Cup. Um, I Like I said before, you know, we're big on our stays here. Like, you know, we've trained winners from 1,000 metres to 3,100 metres. And, but I get more thrill out of training a stayer than I do a, 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 a sprinter. You know, like you, everybody's got a sprinter. Everyone's got a good sprinter in their stable. Not very many people have a decent stayer and, and to watch your stayers go out there and they win by three and four lengths because they're not just the slowest horses, you know, and race and it's survival of the fittest, whoever slugs over the line first because it's a matter of who's, you know, who's the quickest slow one. Yeah. Um, you know, our stayers, they, you know, they, they win and win convincingly, you know, like they don't just fall over the line. Like, um, and I, I get more thrill out of training a stayer then I, then I do, you know, middle distance or or, or sprint and tile. Any win is good. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, I love me, I love me stays. So a Melbourne Cup would be great. Um, a Beef Week Cup at home at Casino is just like winning a Melbourne Cup to yep. a local. I want a Beef Week Cup, right or wrong. Every year comes around and something happens that we just don't have the right horse for it, or like this year. I thought Unleash the Red was absolutely flying. I thought, beautiful, we'll head over there. And it pissed down rain. And he can't pick his feet up in the wet. So we missed it um, this year. But uh, I'll get one one day. But, yeah, a Beef Week Cup is right up there for us. Like I said, it's for, for a local casino person, winning a Beef Week Cup's like winning a Melbourne Cup. You're the, you're the king of the town. So, <laughs> Mate, I reckon you could be the first bloke to do the Beef Week Cup, Melbourne Cup double in the one year that'd be a uh you'd you probably wouldn't find <laughs> that plaque on your wall would you well mug mate i've had a had a great time having a chat with you mug's been chatting with ethan ensby's uh he's going to be a big time player especially in that melbourne cup in a few years so look give him a follow mate ethan ensby racing.com.au i've just had a look you still got a couple of babies up there so we'll post some details on that and hopefully we can get some uh some of the next generation involved, mate, because it looks like you're in for some uh, exciting, exciting things in the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, that's one thing too. Like the younger people are going to come through. They're the, you know, at the end of the day, the fossils are going to drop off the perch shortly. 
and the younger blokes have got to come through. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the younger fellas, we're the future. So, you know, we, the, it's not that hard to get involved. Um, and 90% of us will, will, um, will, you know, will look after the younger fellas coming through. I'd love that start a couple of syndicates with younger people but it's just you know with COVID and stuff like that and everybody's trying to buy houses and you know move on with their lives and and better themselves you know who wants to do that but um you know it's a bit hard to do it at the moment but once you know like a lot of my mates and that sort of they've got their their uh, properties and stuff like that I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna try and everybody's got their you know their their women syndicates and their they're this syndicate, they're that syndicate. Well, I'm going to make my, uh, you know, a few syndicates where you've got to be under a certain age. Otherwise, you, you, you just won't get a share, you know. So, um, and, and I think there needs to be more of that to try and bring the younger generation in. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I want to try and bring them in because at the end of the day, if, if younger fellas don't come in, you know, I'll probably be retired by the time I'm 40 and I'll be still, you know, like I said earlier, trying to find a job, picking up somebody else's shit. So <laughs> and I won't be able to do it. You know, I won't have, a, you know, $2 to, to rub together. But uh, yeah, we're, we're obviously the future. Young people got to get into the sport and we've got to start attracting people. Um, the only way they're going to do it is if they start, you know, um, trying to make these sort of syndicates for, for younger people to come in. Mate, couldn't have said it any better myself. There's nothing I love uh, more than us taking over the generation. Thanks again, brother. No dramas.